Our part in the, the majoring in the minor series on the minor prophets, and today we are looking at the book of Obadiah, which I know is a favorite for all of you. Um, you all have your favorite texts memorized from that book of the Bible, I'm sure. Uh, some of you are probably thinking, is, he, is there really a book of Obadiah? You know, I'm not sure about that. Isn't that next to the book of Hezekiah? And uh, so some of you are going, is Hezekiah in the Bible? I don't know. So, um, but anyways... Today we are in Obadiah, and it's been fun for me to uh, kind of brush up on some of these books and uh, some of the things that are going on, and I, and I hope it's, it's been fruitful for you too as we crack open those sections of scriptures. But today, I want to ask, sometimes you ever find yourself in life asking yourself, can it get any worse than this? I, I'm sure you've been there. Can it get any worse than this? How bad can it get? What else can go wrong? Have you found yourself asking yourself those questions about yourself or maybe a family member or friends or coworkers or the world when you read of what's going on in Syria and, and all the different places in the world that is just so, so horrific? Well, you might find yourself sometime, we've got some pictures to show you today. You ever have a day you feel like this? It's just one of those days. Now, that's supposed to be pretty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, they say. Uh, looks like a bad hair day to me. And uh, wives, when you ask your husbands, how do I look? We are screening so many answers before we bring that up. <laughs> uh, I know you know that, but we're trying to fake it. Uh, but anyways, yeah. You never know uh, how you feel. I'm sure you've had days like that. Or maybe like the next picture, you ever feel that everyone knows what's going on but you? Everybody else knows where the ball is and what's going on, but you have no clue. Or maybe uh, you find yourself like this indie driver and you feel like all four of your tires are not grounded. You know, you're just not quite got them all there. Or maybe you're like the other one who's, you've lost a wheel and you're just trying to keep going. But you, f- you hear an axle grinding somewhere. You smell smoke. Or, like this hurdle jumper, maybe you just try to make the leap but just can't quite make it. You just don't have enough to get over that. That's, if you've never done that before, that's pretty tough. I ran hurdles in high school. And when I first started learning, I got to know the ground really quick. It's much harder than it seems. Or maybe you just need a tune-up for your game. If someone could just come along and tweak something, you'd just do a lot better. Or maybe you just need to escape a little bit in the midst of the battle you are in. And uh, I was trying to figure out if that's an escape or they're working on a new secret weapon out there in Afghanistan. Or if you could just find a way to fly away, you could get away from it all. I don't know if you heard about these characters this week. Jumping, I think it was 2,400 feet out of a helicopter in their squirrel suits. Uh, landing in about 2,400 cardboard boxes. Just make sure you have your landing prepared, whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you just need to let go and hope someone is there to catch you. I notice nobody's standing under the bear. Um, Or the bottom line is you probably just need to take things into your own hands because if you want something done right, you just need to do it yourself. There's Prince Charles skilling up on the bow and arrow, although that looks pretty scary to me. Um, And I know right now you're saying, what does it have to do with Obadiah? Um, Well, I think it actually has something to do with Obadiah. 
This life is a crazy life, and we find ourselves, like I said, saying, could this get any worse? What else could possibly happen? Things, life does not seem to be going as we would like it to go, and as we think maybe God would like it to go. And in Obadiah, the people of Israel have experienced a horrible, horrible thing. The people of God have experienced a horrible thing. And when you open the book of Obadiah, you will learn, um, as you begin to read it, you will begin to think that this book is actually written to somebody other than the people of God. But on a deeper look, and as you read the whole book, you'll realize that it does impact the people of God, and it is written to the people of God, but there's a word of judgment against Edom. Now, to give you a little bit of history and a little bit of background, uh, I want to pull up a map of, of Edom so you'll know where it is. Um, right, there we are. Um, at the bottom, the yellow that you see at the bottom there is the area of Edom. So you have the kingdom of Edom, and just up, to the, up above that, slightly to the left, um, next to the Dead Sea there, you have the kingdom of Judah and then Israel. And if this map showed at all, it would go further down almost to the Red Sea. So there's quite an area there of, of Edom. And Edom was known for its mountains and its mountain ranges. And we're going to show you a couple pictures of of kind of what the territory looked like. You, you had some big mountains in which the people of Edom took a lot of security in, and uh, it built up a lot of their pride, feeling like, we are indestructible, we are safe. You know, if somebody wants to get us, they have to come to the mountains, and we can, you know, go down on them, and, and they would have to come up on us, and that would not be a good thing. So it's an area of safety. They got a lot of pride in their hearts. Um, let's continue to show a couple other pictures you can get an idea of things. This is also, some of you have probably heard of the area called Petra, which in Greek means rock. And uh, now this was not built during the time that we're talking about with Obadiah, but shortly thereafter it was. But it gives you an idea of some of the capabilities there and, and how things, how things uh, developed. But here we have Edom. Now history takes us back to, and I'm going to test your trivia this morning. Who can tell me a Bible character that, that came, developed Edom? Who, where did Edom come from? Anybody know? Esau. Esau. Thank you. Esau. Now, this takes us back to the story of Esau and his brother, Jacob, right? There's a sketch by Rembrandt of the two. And Jacob and Esau um, didn't always get along. Let's just put it that way, right? Now, I like to look at it. My version of the story is that Jacob was a mama's boy, right? And Esau was a man's man, right? He liked to hunt. He'd go out and kind of grunt at the sky, I think, and, and bark at the stars and the moon and hunt and come back with his, with his capture and, and, and his meal. And his dad liked that. Well, when uh, Esau came back one time from hunting, he was famished, and there was Jacob making this stew. And... Uh, Esau thinks, well, you know, what good is a birthright? Because he was born first of the twins. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? Right? So he traded his birthright, sold his birthright for some food. And then later on, when it came time when Isaac was going to die and he was going to bless his firstborn, uh, mom stepped in, being the tricky mom that she was, and uh, helped Jacob out so that he could get the blessing. Right? So you know the story. If you don't know the story, go back to Genesis 25 and on, and you, will, you can find all the details. But long story short, Jacob tricked his dad and got the blessing. Esau came back, getting ready to be blessed, and found out the blessing had already been given. And so there was this bad blood between Jacob and Esau. 
As you continue to read the story in Genesis, you'll find that the two did meet. Jacob was scared to death to meet his brother, but they actually had a good meeting together and things went well. But I would like to think that, you know, stories in our family, in our genealogy, kind of carry on from generation to generation, and we know that in our own genealogies, I'm sure. And there was a time when Israel was uh, in trouble with Babylon, and Babylon was coming onto uh, Israel and, and Judah, and it's known as the exile in the 6th century B.C. When they came and they took over, and it was very hostile, and there was a lot of bad things that happened. We could say they just came in and overtook them, but they killed women and children, and horrible things happened, and they were taken, taken to Babylon, taken into exile. During this time, during this time, Edom, who was right next door, did absolutely nothing to help. Now, here's your blood, here's your relatives, and they did nothing to help. They watched silently as it all happened. In fact, they didn't just watch silently. They, they actually went and took part in the plunder and, and the damage and the killings and all these types of things. And so that's where we find ourselves today in the book of Obadiah. There are other prophets who prophesied judgment against Edom. Uh, you can find it in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Isaiah. But Obadiah is the one prophet this whole book is dedicated to this judgment on Edom, which is why you probably don't read Obadiah very often, which is why you don't have favorite verses in Obadiah, because there's so much judgment in here. And so God comes to Obadiah and says, I have this against you, that when the innocent and when the weak were being killed and were being taken advantage of, you did nothing. And in fact, you even plundered some yourself. And so God is not happy with Edom. And that's where we find ourselves. In verse 1 of the one chapter in Obadiah, the smallest book in the Old Testament, it says this, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. And so we find ourselves in Obadiah with this judgment against Edom. Jeremiah chapter 49, 16 is a passage that Obadiah seems to quote often in his book. He quotes several verses from chapter 49. In fact, many scholars believe that Obadiah brought this word, or God gave this word to Obadiah, after the exile. They had returned from exile, and it was, they had memorial services, remembering the exile. And so Obadiah was the preacher that day, getting up to preach, the prophet to speak. And for his passage that day, he picks Jeremiah 49. And you'll find several quotes from Jeremiah 49 in verses 2 through 14 of Obadiah, but I want to read one to you that we're not going to put on the screen, but it says this in Jeremiah 49:16, "The terror you inspire and the pride of your heart have deceived you." This is God speaking to Edom. "You who live in the clefts of the rocks, you occupy the heights of the hill, though you build your nest as high as the eagles, from there I will bring you down," declares the Lord. God has a judgment against Edom of not only what he did to his people, but what they did to human beings. If you have read the Bible very much, you will know that justice to God means righting the wrongs. Righting the wrongs that have happened to weak and innocent victims. People that 
could not take care of themselves, that were taken advantage of. That's one of the reasons why he has so many judgments against his people, because this little group of people who was not a military power, so many great powers came on them and destroyed them and gave them so much difficulty and so, so many hard times for no reason but just to usurp their power and to conquer And so I'm not going to read all these verses, but I want to read a few of them, beginning in verse 2 of Obadiah. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks, you're hearing Jeremiah 49 in here, and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. I don't know about you, but I never want to hear the Lord say to me, I will bring you down. <laughs> and that's what he's saying to Edom. From there, from those high places that you think you're so safe and secure and that nobody can harm you, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And it goes on through verse 14 and 15 talking about how God is going to bring them down and how they feel all safe and secure in their ways and in their military and in their mountains, but not so with God. This week, the pastoral staff was in a passage during our staff meeting, and it triggered a thought in me to, to go to Exodus 19. And I want to share with you this verse because I think it relates. In Exodus 19, verse 20, see if you pick up on something kind of odd here. It says, The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai. And called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Look at it in the message translation. God descended to the peak of Mount Sinai. God called Moses up to the peak and Moses climbed up. Do you notice something kind of interesting there? God descends to the top of the mountain. And we have to climb. We have to ascend, right? He descends to the peak of our mountain tops. It reminds us we're pretty small. God is God. He comes down to our great places. But God is God and he can do whatever he wants. And God is a God of loving and mercifulness and compassion. But he is also a God of justice. And his justice comes out of his mercy and his love and his compassion for the weak, for the broken, for the ones who can't protect themselves. He looks out for us. He looks out for his creation. Gen, uh, Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The New Living Translation says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Edom, you will reap what you sow. You see, part of the good news is that God loves us and God forgives us and God has compassion on us. The rest of the good news is also that evil will not run its course forever. That the awful things that we see and experience in this world, the massacres that take place around the globe, the corruption that we see in government and in politics, the things that we experience in the work world or even in our own families, the things that we experience on day to day, there will come a day when it's going to end. And God, being the judge that he is, is also going to say, this is not going to continue. And that's another reason why heaven and the new earth is going to be such a wonderful place. 
because there will not be any manipulation, any abuse, any corruption, any massacres, any of the things that are just not right. God is going to see to it that they end. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. When we look at the book of Revelation, we can get lost in the beasts and the plagues and all the different things, and they, they get our attention. But when we look at the book of Revelation, we have to remember that verse 1 says, this is a, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all these frightening things that we see can lure us away and get us worried and anxious and all those types of things, but... But the message is that God knows what's happening. He's aware of what's happening. He sees it all. And he's in the process of making things right. Jesus said these words to his followers in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you might have trouble. Is that what he says? In this world, he tells us, even Jesus tells us, you will have trouble. God's people will have trouble. Jesus had trouble. God has troubles. I don't know what it is about us, but sometimes we think, I accept Jesus and all my troubles will go away. God, why am I having troubles? Why is this happening? Jesus told us right out of the gate, in this world you will have trouble. And then my favorite word in the Bible, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And just before that, he had told his followers, his disciples, the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan stands condemned. And Jesus revealed what kind of person Satan is when he went to the cross. The prince of this world now stands condemned. And in the process, know that you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And in the midst of it, you can know my peace that passes understanding. I'm always blessed uh, as a pastor when I go visit people and I get pastored. I love when I go to minister to people and they minister to me. And there have been countless times when I've visited somebody on their deathbed and this spirit comes upon them. And it's, it's like you just can't... Yeah, I, my description won't even come close to describing it. But when, I, when I'm with them and, they, and they're close to death and they tell me, don't worry about me because I'm experiencing the presence of God like I never have before in my life. And I go, wow, God really is good all the time. That even in a place that all of us often fear of going someday, of experiencing that in our life, God meets us in a way that we just have never experienced before and experience his, path, his peace that passes understanding. When we're experiencing trouble, the trouble of the physical body dying in this life, God meets us. I love the words from Romans. In Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God is in the process of getting us there. But in the meantime, he's given us his Holy Spirit to be with us in it. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You can experience my presence in your very being. It's better that I leave this world. Don't you sometimes think it would be so much easier if Jesus was still here? That we could see him face to face and walk with him. But Jesus himself said, it's better that I leave so that I can be in you. And you can experience my presence in your life. We live in such a microwave culture. I've said that before and I say it again. You know, uh, my kids, some of you are praying for me and my kids over the last, we had a prayer meeting Wednesday night. I said, pray for my kids because Lisa left Wednesday night for business, for work. She gets back tonight. So pray that my kids get fed, <laughs> you know, because I tend to forget that and those types of things. And pretty soon the kids say, we're starving, you know, and I'm like, well, eat something, you know, there's food in the kitchen. Pick something healthy, right? Then, of course, the question is, is ice cream healthy? You know. Uh, sometimes I go, yes, yes, it is. Go ahead, help yourself. <laughs> but uh, God is always there leading us through it. We live in this microwave culture. Sorry, I had to get my brain back where I was going with that. Um, last night, you know, what are we having for dinner? So I'm like, well, you know, every guy who's batching it, who has little kids, goes, well, where's, where's the Loma Linda foods? Where's the linkets, right? Some of you say linkets. I say linkets. And we pull it out. <laughs> I go to open the pantry, and there's no linkets. What is a man to do with young children? And so order pizza. There you go. Uh, so I found these vegetarian Italian sausages in the, in the fridge, and I thought, guys, we're going to do something off the charts tonight. I got out the hot dog buns, I got the Italian sausages, I got the marinara sauce, and the mozzarella cheese. We were having Italian hot dogs. Now, some of you right now are going, hmm, lunch sounds good right now, right? I know you're thinking that. So, and I looked at it, and of course, it's always better if you cook it. And I thought, oh, we have no time for that. So we put it in the microwave for about a few minutes, you know. I learned because my dad was not a cook. And I still have the memory of my dad putting a veggie sausage pad in the microwave for five minutes. <laughs> the kitchen smelled for a couple days, and it was a hockey puck. So I learned always err towards the shorter time on things, and you can continue to heat it up. But once you nuke it completely, it's, you can't recover it. So we put these Italian sausages in there and nuked them and had these wonderful Italian, you know, with marinara sauce and all of that. So we had, we had veggie Italian sausages for dinner and s'mores for dessert, Right? Not too bad for a dad, you know? It's going to be hard for Lisa to live up to that when she gets back with her meal planning. But we live in this society where we expect everything to be like now because we're hungry now, because we need it now, and we need, you know, we go on Amazon, we go on these places, and when can it, it needs to be here tomorrow, right? And we go, why isn't God doing anything? He's getting us through the middle, you know? There's the beginning and there's the end. We have to go through the middle, and I don't understand it all. You don't understand of all the stuff that happens in the middle. But because of the cross, we can trust the God who's getting us through the middle and who's taking us there. The God who left heaven and came down to earth to remind us, I'm in it with you until the end. And I will see you through until the end. Romans 8 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Don't you feel the groaning? I groan sometimes. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what is already, who what, sorry, who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness as we go through the middle. I put my words in there. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, as we go through the middle, from beginning to end and through the tragedies, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You feel the groans. You feel the aches. Don't know how to pray sometimes. Don't know what to say. We take comfort because God is with us in it. Even this earth is groaning, Paul says, waiting for the end to come. A couple weeks ago, we were in uh, Hawaii, and uh, I was hoping to do a lot of serving on that mission trip, remember? Uh, Translated surfing on that uh, trip to Hawaii. Uh, But I guess God had other plans. Uh, It was flat as a board everywhere around the whole islands. I went south, I went west, I went east. I even got desperate and went north, which only breaks in the winter, and there was nothing. We found this one beach called Sandy Beach, um, and they actually had some big waves. The problem was they were breaking right on the shore, so not too safe. And, uh, but we pulled in to take a look at it anyways, and, we, and as we pulled in, I said, oh, there's a parking spot, and I, I pulled in, and my whole family was in a trance and mesmerized by a couple of signs that were warning us about the beach. And uh, one of them was this sign, high surf. Now, that always puts a little bit of fear in you, you know, when you look at that and go, uh, I really don't want to be launched from the wave. Um, that's not really what I had in, in mind. Uh, and then there was this other sign, which I always get a smile out of. This was actually at Sandy Beach. I don't know if you can see this. But the guy's landing on his head. It says, dangerous shore break. Now, where I parked, these two signs were right on top of each other. So you're just kind of overwhelmed with this visual. And my whole family was like, wow, that's just, I don't know that I want to go out here. Now, Andrew being the man that he is, he was like, I want to go out. <laughs> And I was like, uh, as your dad, I'm going to say no, uh, because I don't want to end up in the hospital with you. And so I said, well, let's just get out of the car and just kind of look at it for a while. So we got out of the car. We were just, you know, we're not too far from the car, and this lifeguard approaches me. And he says, excuse me, sir, is this your car? Now, you know that's not a good thing. I mean, if you're driving a Ferrari or something like that, you, want, you know, you want people to know that. But when you're driving a rental car, you know it's not a good thing. And so he comes up and he says, is this your car? And I said, yes, it is. He says, well, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, there's a sign right in front that says lifeguard parking only. You know, so you'll be towed. And I said, oh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I completely missed the obvious. And sure enough, when I got there, the lifeguard parking sign was right in front of the windshield. And the two signs about the high surf and all that were just to the left. But we were so taken by those signs, that I completely missed the sign right in front of me. Have you ever been there and done that? I'm sure... I'm sure you have. But I share that with you because in this life that is so full of all the craziness that's happening in our world, and I was having a discussion with somebody just the other day about this. It's like, do we have more crazy stuff or is it just because we have so much media devices that we know more about it? I don't know. But, I mean, you constantly on your cell phone or on your iPad or on the Internet or on TV or whatever, we've recognized and learned more about all the crazy, horrific things that are happening in the site. And our world is becoming more and more anxious because of all the crazy warning signs. 
But Jesus gave us the Bible, he gave us himself, and he gave us the book of Revelation to remind us, don't get lost in the crazy panic that's happening in the world. Keep your eyes on me and trust that I'm getting you through to the end. Keep your eyes on me. Follow me. Focus me. Trust me to be able to do this. At the book, at Obadiah's closing verses, which is where I want to go at this point, there's a wonderful word of hope. And beginning in verse 16, God says this through Obadiah. Just as you drank on my holy hill, he's still talking to Edom, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. He's still saying this judgment. You hear about this drinking in Revelation, if you're familiar with Revelation, and it's a drinking of judgment. So there's this drink and drink and drink. They're getting drunk. But on Mount Zion, he says, will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. The people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines, and they will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles, these nobodies, these, these weak and small people, these exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as the Zarephath, and the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Basically, he's saying, all of my people have been taken advantage of and who have been taken into exile and all these things, they're now going to possess the land because I'm bringing justice. And in verse 21, he closes with this. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. God's telling his people, don't worry. I've seen what has happened, and there will be justice. I'm going to take care of it. But bear with me. Know that I'm doing everything that needs to be done to get where I want to be with you. That wonderful prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 of the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of and all the world powers in Babylon and Greece and Media Persia and Rome. And, and then there's this rock, this stone that is cut out from the mountain without hands because it's God's kingdom. And that kingdom comes and it takes over all the powers of the world to be established for all of eternity. When Jesus came, he came preaching the kingdom of God, inviting everyone into his kingdom, all who would come in to come into his kingdom, into a kingdom that would never, ever end. Jesus is seeing us through. I don't know what you're experiencing in this life, the hardships that you experience, different types of abuse that happen in families, in the workplace, in the world. Manipulation, power struggles, fights for control. Jesus says, trust me. I'm with you. I'm turning things around. But trust me, I will get you to the other side. I've always loved Faith Hill's song, There Will Come a Day. And these are the lyrics. It says, it's not easy trying to understand how the world can be, sold, how it can be so cold, stealing the souls of man. Cloudy skies rain down on all your dreams. You wrestle with the fear and doubt. Sometimes it's hard, but you got to believe. There's a better place where our Father waits, 
and every tear he'll wipe away. The darkness will be gone. The weak shall be strong. Hold on to your faith. There will come a day. Wars are raging. Lives are scattered. Innocence is lost. And hopes are shattered. The old are forgotten. The children are forsaken. In this world we're living in, is there anything sacred? There will come a day. There will come a day. The song will ring out down those golden streets. The voices of earth with the angels will sing. Every knee will bow. Sin will have no trace. In the glory of his amazing grace, every knee will bow. Sin will have no trace. In the glory of his amazing grace, grace, there will come a day. Yes, there will come a day. There will come a day where there'll be no more weeping, no more hurt, no more pain, no suffering, no darkness, no sick, no lame. God has given us a vision of hope in this dark world. A vision of hope to know that he is taking care of things and he's with us in it. He came here to show us that he's with us. He's came here, he came here to show us that he will see us through to the end. We have a vision of hope that God will bring about justice. We will be taken care of. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the vision of hope that you give us. In a world that often seems has little hope, you remind us through Obadiah today that you see everything. You know everything that's happening. You see the good, the bad, the ugly. But Lord, that's not the end of the story. You will bring about justice. Lord, someday, those who hurt the children, those who take advantage of the weak, will reap what they sow. But Lord, we also thank you that you would prefer through your mercy and your compassion that all would seek forgiveness, that all would confess the wrongs that are done and that all would trust you with their lives and enter into your kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that it's never too late that even a thief on a cross can make it into your kingdom. So Jesus... We trust you with the beginning. We trust you with the end. Give us the grace to trust you through the middle as you see us through to your kingdom come.